This episode is brought to you by Progressive, home of the Name Your Price tool. You say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. It's easy to start a quote. Visit Progressive.com to get started. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Jody Avergan here. On Sundays over the course of the summer, July and August, we're going to be bringing you some of our favorite episodes from the archives. You're still going to get brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but we're giving ourselves a little bit of a break on Sundays running a previous episode. It's still from around the same date, so it will still hook in in that way. But look, we've done about 450 of these. There's a good chance you haven't heard this one or haven't heard it in a while and might want to re-listen. So here we go with the Sunday favorite from the archives. Hello and welcome to This Day in Esoteric Political History from Radiotopia. My name is Jody Avergan. This day, July 25th, 2009, actually it was July 24th, 2009, President Obama extended an invitation to the White House to two men to come over to the White House and, well, to have a beer. Uh, This was what came to be known as the Beer Summit, Obama's attempt to intervene and smooth over an incident involving a Boston police officer and Harvard professor Henry Louis Gates Jr., the officer, we should say, was white. Henry Louis Gates Jr. is black. Uh, the officer, James Crowley, had arrested Gates on Gates's own doorstep after neighbors called the police saying that a man was trying to break into a house in the neighborhood. That man was Gates, who had basically lost his keys, was trying to get into his own house. The cops get called. Crowley arrests Gates. This becomes a major incident after it gets written up in the Harvard Crimson, and then the AP picks it up, and then Obama weighs in, and then it becomes this big scandal, and we get to this beer summit invitation to sit down and talk it out, which I guess is what we're doing right now. We are sitting down and talking it out, here to do that, as always. No beer, I don't think. Nicole Hammer of Columbia and Kelly Carter-Jackson of Wellesley. Hello there. Hello, Jody. Hey there. Uh, no judgment, but it is, we record this show, listeners, on Friday mornings, so I, you know, I don't think we would have a beer summit beer necessarily, but, you know, yeah, yeah, um, but um, also, by the way, if you are marking uh, dates and hooks, this is the one-year anniversary of the podcast episode that we did on the show a year ago, where we said we absolutely have to do the beer summit, because I know that it's been, you know, I, you will see over the course of this episode, but I know that all of us think that the beer summit is this sort of like sneaky, really important moment in the Obama presidency. So I'm glad we're finally getting to it. Um, Kelly, where do you start with the sort of incident itself? Crowley and Gates on this doorstep, the neighbors calling the cops. What else yeah. do you feel like is important to know about that moment? And then we'll get to the Obama White House invitation. Well, Henry Louis Gates had said that he was returning from a major trip. He had just got back into the country from China. So I can imagine he is jet lagged, he is weary, and he has uh, lost or misplaced his keys. So he's trying to get into his home um, and has has his driver help him to try to break into his own house. Uh, And in that process, a neighbor sees what's going on. It looks suspicious to her. So she calls the cops. And when the cops show up, uh, I think (laughs) Henry Louis Gates was a bit um, miffed, if you will, that someone would be questioning him about breaking into his own home i'm sure he said do you know who i am i'm a harvard professor (laughs) i'm sure that was part of of the exchange um but it's also sort of interesting because henry lewis gates jr also walks with the cane 
He has uh, a physical disability. And so the idea that he would be breaking into a home himself yeah. just did not make sense. Um, and I'm sure a cursory look into the home could have also showed you pictures of himself in the house in which he lived. Uh, I, there were a lot of clues, some <laughs> context <laughs> clues that would have told you that maybe this is a, all a misunderstanding. Um, but before it could get to that place, it escalated and... Here we have the beer summit. Yeah. I just want to quickly point out that there's sort of two elements here that I think are really things that I think we've learned in the last several years about police encounters, which is one, that there is a whole group of people who use calling 911 as a sort of like Mm – default response um and i think those are often white people but you know it's like just this idea that you would go to call 911 rather than just walk out and talk to it to the human being um or whatever and then also to your point kelly like the, this sort of when there's a police encounter it just opens a door to escalation mm-hmm. and i think the escalation here gates rightfully upset is often you know it's kind of what led to him being actually arrested and being taken back and so forth but it's like once you make that 911 phone call it sets off this massive chain and and so this is a story that it sort of plays out as one might predict um given the the tendencies toward um escalation in these situations but it's picked up by the harvard crimson mm-hmm. and then it makes its way into the ap and it becomes a national story. And because of the way our media works, because it's this national story, because Barack Obama knows Skip Gates, um, he gets a question about this incident in a press conference that he's doing about healthcare. So he's like laser focused on trying to pass the Affordable Care Act. And a reporter asks him about what happened to Henry Louis Gates. And Obama says, I think, quite fairly, that the police officer acted stupidly in escalating the situation and putting Gates under arrest when it was a situation that could very easily have been cleared up. Um, And that phrase, acted stupidly, triggers a huge backlash. Um, His numbers with, his approval numbers with white Americans plummet at that point, and they never recover. Like, he just loses a big batch of white Americans in this situation where he suggests that a white police officer who arrested a man on his own porch um, acted stupidly. Mm, So can we linger actually on that exact moment, that exact phrase? Because I do think that is the, as you're describing, the point at which this just completely turns. Um, I think I generally agree with you that Obama was offering a fairly straightforward assessment that said, is there any part of you that feels like you're the president of the United States, you get this question, you know, you you can watch some pitches, you don't have to weigh in on <laughs> yeah, everything. You could have said no comment. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, or whatever. And it's like, honestly, I, God, I, I almost feel icky saying this out loud, but like, you know, one of the things that, about Trump was that he felt like he was still a guy who could comment on the news and just sort of like be a guy who was just watching the world play out and offer his takes um, when it was like, no, you're president now. Like, you got to, you know, and I wonder if there was any part of that. And, 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 you know, or Nikki, you're the one who's, you know, has this project trying to understand the Obama era. Is there anything about like Obama early in his presidency still feeling like I'm just a guy in the world and I can weigh in on stuff and offer my take? Mm. You know, I think that he was still a pretty cautious person early on, 
But we can say that this moment made him much, much, Mm -hmm. much more Mm -hmm. cautious when it came to issues of race and racism. So I think that he had felt a little freer to talk about race after he gave this speech during the campaign um, that was a very nuanced speech about um, his pastor and about race in America. And I think that he thought that had bought him a little bit of goodwill in this space. Um, He was incorrect. And he actually doesn't make any significant, meaningful comment about race Mm -hmm. for most of the rest of his first term. Mm -hmm. So however cautious or incautious he was prior to this moment, he learns from this that this is the hot stove that you do not touch. Yeah, I think he realized he couldn't be... um he couldn't be flippant. You know, he had to yeah. sort of be very, every single thing that he has said, especially when it came to race, had to be intensely strategic. Um, and yeah, I'm sure he could have said a no comment. But I think it also revealed just how fragile white people are about pointing out things that they don't want to face themselves. Yeah. I think if he had said this moment, in the moment that we're living in now, right, in a very post-George Floyd moment or a post, you know, BLM moment, it might not have gotten as big of a, a flack um, as it did then. But in the first six months of his presidency, I think people were wary that did we elect a black president or did we elect a president? You know, is he going to be the president for all of us or just the president for some of us? And a comment like that tipped white people into saying, "Uh oh, he might be a black president and not yeah. a president." And you know, I, yeah, I think we're painting a picture here. I think it's hard to overstate how much this was the turning point on race when. Basically, a lot of white America snapped back um, and and gave up. And it shows you kind of how long or how short the leash was that white America was granting Obama. And, and almost this idea, I think we can very much see it now. I think it extends into now. But of this idea of like, well, you know, we, we convinced ourselves to vote for you. Isn't that enough? You know, and now you step one step over the line uh, on race and boom, that's it. You know, your your grace period is over. It does seem like one of those things where if he if it hadn't been this, it would have been something oh, yeah. else. Yes, like that, that's what I'm trying that to was say. Going yes. to they, white America was waiting the for the moment to snap back, yeah. To, yeah. to pull that back. Yes, agreed. It's a high-stakes election year, so it's not enough to just follow along. You need to understand what's happening so you are fully informed come November. Every weekday on the NPR Politics Podcast, our political reporters break down important stories and backstories from the campaign trail so you understand why it matters to you. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So let's then now move to this invitation to uh, come over to the White House to have a beer between the two, because I think that also says a lot about Obama and his sort of political instincts and his human instincts. But, you know, I think at the time I kind of was like, well, this is a nice gesture, but this idea that like you're going to solve race relations over a beer <laughs> uh, is, I don't know, you know? Um, and so, I don't know, what, what, what do you, Nikki, how did that play at the time? And what do we see now as what it teaches us about how Obama navigated this stuff? 
Yeah, it's sort of a precursor to Starbucks conversations about race. <laughs> oh my God, I'd forgotten about that. Wow. Um, look, you know, it was it was very Obama esque, right? Like, let's all sit down and talk about this and come to a common meeting of the mind. That if we can all just sit down in a room together, we'll be able to work these things out and lower the temperature and um, find common ground. So in that sense, it was very much in keeping with how Obama operated as a politician. And that doesn't actually go away. Like That is a, a mindset that he is going to bring to negotiations with Republicans, that he just brings again and again to his presidency. Um, but I do think that people were kind of like, you're going to sit down over beers and solve this? I think that that was a, a common reaction. I mean, look, it's, it's it's kind of brushed off as the beer summit. Um, you know, it, it's a photo op in many ways. You have four guys sitting around drinking beers, or in Joe Biden's case, a near beer, since he doesn't <laughs> drink alcohol. Um, but it has this... It has this cultural impact almost in the way that the tan suit does. Like, people don't Mm. take it seriously. Mm. Um, It got a lot of buzz when it happened. Um, And I think that people largely stopped thinking about it after it happened. Right, except in the the way that it changed a lot of public opinion about Obama. Like, the, the summit itself, maybe, but this incident... And Obama daring to speak out, as we've oh, been yeah. saying, I think has a big impact. But yes, um, I mean, Obama himself sort of at, in real time tried to downplay the summit itself, which and he was like, I think he has this quote where he says, you know, I'm fascinated about by the fascination about this thing that we're doing. But again, maybe that's part of me is like, well, you know, yeah, you're the president. When you do a thing, people are going to pay attention. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that in, I don't know, in certain communities or certain people that I was around, it was it was sort of laughable. Like, what what is happening here? What, yeah. Why is this even necessary? Um, and especially, I think, you know, for Henry Louis Gates, he joked uh, about Sergeant Crowley, about them sitting down together. And he's like, yeah, we hit it right off from the beginning. Uh, he's a nice guy when he's not arresting you, you know? And it just, <laughs> it, it was kind of like, what? Like, And then, of course, it, it also, I think, gives... Henry Louis Gates an additional moment of shine in that he traces Sergeant Carly's DNA, finds out that they have a distant connected Irish ancestor or something like that. I mean, I think that in some ways this um, becomes like a PR stunt a little bit, like it didn't have to be this. But I do think that um, people will always capitalize on moments to make something um, useful or profitable or... um, there are ways that people try to use this to make it into something else. I'll put it like that. Um, so July 30th is when they all – so everyone accepts the invitation. We should say that. We're marking the moment of the invitation. Everyone accepts it. July 30th, Obama, Crowley, Gates, and Vice President Joe Biden, they meet at the White House. Um, they sit outside. Now, I was going to sort of try and ask a, a little bit of a trivia question here. But I suspect, Nikki, you know this because you've been diving deep into this stuff. But do you – Either of you know the beers that those respective people drank. <laughs> Can you do it off the top of your head? So uh, I know what Obama drank. Um, uh-huh. Which he was? had a Bud Light. Correct. Um, Someone had because Blue Moon. Is that right? Crowley has Blue Moon and Skip Gates has a a red stripe. There you go. 
look, it so was already a bipartisan uh, bridging, right? I you have can't. the blue moon <laughs> for the police officer, a red stripe for Gates. Ooh, there you go. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, the blue stripe was not a, a part of the political uh, well. lexi- lexicon at that point. No, but, yeah. not yet. That's right. Um, uh, but yeah, make of those what you will. Certainly the media at the time made of that what they wanted. It was a whole thing. And and of course, Joe Biden doesn't drink. He had a Bex or you know non-alcoholic beer. Um, so as we wrap up, I do want to just sort of reiterate and come back to this larger issue of you know how public opinion around race turned for Obama. And I do really, I have come to really see like that speech he gives in Philadelphia about race as this really key moment where he's able to find his voice on race. But then because of what we see happens here, you know, a realization that was really maybe his only moment where he found that footing in the campaign in the first term. So, you know, any final thoughts on on, on just that and how much, how defining this silly little beer summit, but this larger moment really f- feels in, in retrospect? So an opinion poll found that uh, 41% of people disapproved of how Obama had handled uh, the the situation. 29% of people approved. But as a result of that, the support among Barack Obama's support among white voters drops from 53% to 46% just off that one moment. So that's kind of shocking when you think about what one moment of somewhat insignificance could allow people to lose faith in their ability um, to approve of your of your behavior or your performance in office. Yeah, and this does lead to, you know, I mentioned earlier that Barack Obama doesn't speak a lot about race in his first term. The intersection of race, racism, and policing in his second term becomes such a big story with Black Lives Matter and mm-hmm. with um, an increase in the number of filmed police shootings and Trayvon that Martin. are talking about. Yeah, and so he he starts to talk more about race and about racial profiling and his own experiences. He still has trouble. He he does he's not able to win back white people on the question of policing, even when he is so careful to say in every statement that he makes that it's just a few bad police officers and that police are good. Like he layers so much praise on police officers and policing um, in the second term of his presidency. But those folks that turned against him back in 2009, they never hear it, um, no matter how many times he says it. And it's interesting to look at his speeches in that second term and just see how Hmm. solicitous he is um, Mm. when he talks about policing in a way that um, I think is shaped by this moment. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you you two know this much better than I do, but I would say, you know, maybe that speech that he gives after the shooting at the church in Charleston mm-hmm. is the next time where it feels like he's up there just offering, you know, a real sure-footed, um, you know, conversation about race. And it is not a coincidence that that is fairly close to the end of his term where he maybe he mm-hmm. feels a little le- like he can find his voice um, in addition to being genuinely moved and horrified by that incident. Yeah. Well, and that the Trayvon and Charleston stories are ones that don't involve police shootings. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. true right. Too. Yeah. The, the Trayvon, he could have been my son th- stuff was pretty uh, remarkable as well. But yes, that's mm-hmm. that's right. And I think the police encounters element of all of this is really where. Yeah, you're right. Um, mm. Okay. Well, let's leave it there. Uh, brings us to the end of the episode. Nicole Hammer, thanks to you as always. Thank you, Jody. And Kelly Carter-Jackson, thanks to you. My pleasure. 
This Day in Esoteric Political History is a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX, a network of independent, listener-supported, artist-owned podcasts. Our researcher and producer is Jacob Feldman. Our producer is Brittany Brown. You can get in touch with us with any questions or comments or ideas for the show. Email us thisdaypod at gmail.com or you can find a form at thisdaypod.com. My name is Jody Avergan. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you soon. This is not a summit, guys. This is uh, three <laughs> folks having, a, uh, having a, a drink at the end of the day uh, and hopefully giving people an opportunity to listen to each other. Uh, and, and that's really all it is. The president said instead of anger and hyperbole, he hoped tonight would bring self-reflection and the recognition that everyone has different points of view, a fact lost amidst the hype. It is, as you may have heard, an election year. But do you feel like you have a lot of choices? Here are the new candidates, same as the old candidates. How did we get here again? The fact is our democracy is broken. We can all feel it and there's data to back it up too. A Princeton University study found that public opinion has near zero impact on what laws are passed. You know what does have an impact though? Money. You can call it lobbying, you can call it super PAC spending, you can call it corruption. But luckily, there are things we can do right now to fix this broken system. This podcast is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition, a group that's banding together to make our democracy better. We're working with Represent Us, the largest grassroots organization fighting to end corruption city by city and state by state. You can join the movement too. Go to represent.us slash podcast to find out more. Radiotopia.